Hi, Delta. Hi, Kelsey. How are you today? You know what? I'm good. Great. Okay, weird question. Do you know the phrase hoisted by your own petard? I do not. Okay. <laughs> See, I thought this was a phrase that everybody knew. It's a okay, Shakespeare phrase. It just means your plan has blown up in your face, basically. Okay. You've been done in by your own efforts. So have you ever been hoisted by your own petard? I think so. And I think it's just my own overthinking of everything. Hmm. My biggest character flaw is that I think that I'm being a realist about things, but I'm a fatalist about things. Oh. And that's that's part of my overthinking. Uh Uh-huh. And it could be anything. It could be like, you know what, Kelsey? I saw how you opened your water on camera while we were doing this. And I feel like it's something about, I feel like you're angry with me. (laughs) It'll be like that. And that is so, that <laughs> speaks so deep into your own, like my own shit. But like, mm-hmm. I, there are times where I'm like, I, you know, mm, I sent somebody these memes and they just, uh, they usually like, it usually there's more of a response. <laughs> and so I, think I do this mad. too. I do that a lot too. Uh, why do we do <sighs> that? They're not mad. They're like, literally, you could be that you were just like, I'm sorry, I was loading the dishwasher when you sent that. I was just like, <laughs> oh my God, that is so funny. <laughs> LOL. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Well, today's rivalry is about somebody who is continuously hoisted by their own petard. Okay. I want you to close your eyes and imagine with me. Imagine you're standing on a highway in the desert. I love the desert. Oh, good. The heat is reflecting off the black top of the highway. The landscape is dotted with wind-carved rock formations. When all of a sudden, whoosh, something flies past you. Mm-hmm. And then following that first whoosh, you see another fast-approaching object. Except this object, you can make out more of what it is. It looks like a mangy old dog. <laughs> Actually, maybe maybe a coyote? Mm-hmm. And, and is that a stick of dynamite strapped to his back, <laughs> blasting him forward? It is. <laughs> so, I bet you've guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> this is so sweet, though. Our rivalry today is Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Yeah, adorable. From Sony Music Entertainment, this is Fierce Rivalries with me, Delta Work. And with me, Kelsey Padgett. Each week, I tell Delta the true story behind an infamous or an underrated rivalry with all the dramatic and sometimes petty twists and turns. And then I'll declare the winner, but not every story has a victor. Sometimes it's just about who loses more. So, so tell me, do you have good memories of Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner? Did you watch that growing up? Yeah, I did. I did. This is Looney Tunes. This is Looney Tunes, yes. Yeah. This is what I remember as like Saturday morning cartoons. It all seemed fun and games, but when you kind of break it down, it is super violent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because one of our rivals here is trying to murder and eat the other one. Yes. But it seems so comical. It is, right? And that's why people love it. So today's story is of two rivalries. The one that we all know about a bird and a coyote going after each other, living in a world that is constantly pressuring one of them to be consumed with catching the other one. But then there's the second rivalry that you probably won't know about. A second rivalry which is... Somewhat hypothetical, so you'll have to bear with me. It's a sort of a a test of consumer law. Or 
as some people hope, a rivalry so interesting that it's set to become as popular as the movie Space Jam. So let's dive in and take a trip out west. You know, I'm not far from a desert landscape where I am, and th- this always, I've always loved the idea of like the Wild West. Mm-hmm. It's always been a thing because I live in the West. To me, the desert is a very mysterious place because it's like for miles and miles, you'll see nothing, and then you just see someone appear out of nowhere. And mm-hmm. the desert does hold sort of that like no man's land, kind of where you go to disappear. Mm. Where you go when you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. It has like mm-hmm. a mystery about it that's kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's our setting is the southwest of America, the desert. If you're not familiar with the show, which I'm sure most people are, but just in case, it's a cartoon about a coyote who is trying to catch and eat a roadrunner, a bird. The roadrunner is very fast and the coyote cannot outrun him. Therefore, the coyote tries to create some sort of trap or device, or plan, or plot to outsmart the Roadrunner. Now, these traps often involve weird gadgets or explosives that he's purchased from the Acme Corporation, Mm -hmm. which is like the Amazon.com of this little universe, (laughs) because he can get anything and everything from the Acme Corporation. But every single time these devices fail, or the coyote uses them poorly, (laughs) and... He does not catch the Roadrunner, and he ends up hurt a lot and embarrassed. Right. And, you know, I always loved the landscapes and the idea of the Acme Corporation and that you could get any of these weird gadgets. But anyway, let me tell you where this cartoon comes from. Okay. The people who made it are named Chuck Jones and Michael Maltese. Chuck Jones, you might recognize his name from lots of Looney Tunes. He's one of the Mm -hmm. most famous animators of all time. He was on the team that came up with Bugs Bunny. Right. Another thing about Chuck, he loved to tell this story about one time when he met a child, the parents said, oh, this is Chuck Jones. He draws Bugs Bunny. The kid says, no, he doesn't draw Bugs Bunny. He draws pictures of Bugs Bunny. And so Chuck loved to tell the story so that, you know, he could always remember that to his audience, his characters were real. Michael Maltese is best known for his work on Merry Melodies, which are those cartoons that feature classical music. So like Bugs Bunny singing opera type things, which I'm sure we all remember from Looney Tunes. And these two wanted to satirize this trend that was happening in cartoons at the time. The trend was the chase. So you've got like a mouse who is being chased by the cat and outsmarts the cat. You've got Bugs Bunny being hunted by Elmer Fudd, but always outsmarting Elmer Fudd. They wanted it to be that the chaser, the coyote, would outsmart himself, would be taken down by his own ineptitude. You know, the roadrunner doesn't actually do that much. He just, like, is fast and then does not get caught by these traps that the coyote makes, right? Right. So they wanted it to be, like, a little different in that way. Why did they pick a coyote? Well, Chuck had been interested in coyotes since his childhood when he read a Mark Twain book called Roughing It where Mark Twain describes a coyote as a long, slim, sick, and sorry-looking skeleton with a gray wolf skin stretched over it, a tolerably brushy tail that forever sags down with despairing expression of forsakenness and misery, a furtive and evil eye, and a long, sharp face with a slightly lifted lip to expose his teeth. He has the general slinking expression all over, The coyote is the living, breathing allegory of want. He's always hungry, 
He's always poor, out of luck, and friendless. That's actually a very, I feel like a very accurate description. (laughs) I really feel like it is. And I feel so bad because we both love animals, but Uh that description, I mean, we see coyotes all over the place here in Southern California, but I feel like they always look like that, especially in the desert. They always look so like, (laughs) like drinking dirty water. Right. Just barely making it. (laughs) Barely making it. Definitely always hungry. Yeah. 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 Sad. Well, Chuck, when he read this description of coyote, he was like, yeah, that's me. I'm that coyote. I'm just a sorry-looking creature just trying to survive out here. With a long face. (laughs) With a long face. (laughs) So, you know, he identified with Wile E. Coyote, and he wanted the audience to identify with Wile E. Coyote, too. So in the character of Wile E. Coyote, he intensified that desperation by making Wile E. Coyote not just desperate to survive, but obsessed with a single goal, the Roadrunner. So if you think about it, in the desert, there's probably easier meals to come by. Not that many, but probably easier ones than this extremely fast bird. (laughs) You know, there's lizards, rabbits, things like that. But Wiley Coyote is stubborn and steadfast in his intent to not be humiliated by the Roadrunner. He's hungry, but more than that, he's got something to prove. So he is just singly tasked, focused on one thing. Have you ever had that happen to you where the, the blinders just come down and you've got to complete this one goal, no matter how hard and how much it messes up the rest of your world? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely the type of person that will sort of die on a hill, and sometimes you just have to kind of let go. But I I think it's usually when it has to do with, like, something professional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these guys, they come up with Coyote and Roadrunner, and they make their first film. So the ways these are originally released are, like, as short films— And it's 1949, and the title of the first one is called The Fast and the Furious. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. cute. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it was supposed to be this one-off cartoon sort of just making fun of Cat and Mouse by having this dog who just keeps getting in his own way, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe it was because of that difference in this cartoon, but people loved it. And it's so crazy that it's like holds up today, right? You could watch Fast and the Furious today and still get a giggle about it, you know, or at least be entertained. So people loved this. They wanted more of these cartoons. And so Warner Brothers gave it to them. They did 40 of the Coyote Roadrunner cartoons between 1949 and 1966. And the two are solidified in the American memory as classic cartoons and classic rivals. 1949 to 1962, 40 episodes. 1949 to 1966, yes, 40 different episodes. Gosh, it's so weird the way we look at episodic things because now it's like if you were given that amount of time, there would be like 874,000 episodes. (laughs) Right, 40 episodes, that's like what, three seasons or something? Right. (laughs) Especially cartoons. Yeah, but I mean, different technology, I get it. So when you watch the show, who did you root for? Did you root for the Roadrunner to get away or for the Coyote to catch him? Well, I think always the Roadrunner, and it's interesting because maybe I I never thought about it until really now, Mm -hmm. later in life, but maybe even in this very moment, that the Roadrunner is kind of like very aloof, Mm -hmm. like is aware, but there's this shady, like, I'm unaware. 
I had no idea. <laughs> I'm not bothered. Look, yeah, I'm very unbothered. So there's yeah. kind of a shady sort of, I don't know, there's like a personality attached to it. And I can't think of a celebrity that's kind of like this personality, but there's mm. kind of a, uh, like a, fa- a fanciful mm-hmm. way about, <laughs> about the Roadrunner that's slightly dandy and... Mm-hmm. He has that little... F- Tuft of hair, uh-huh. and he's purple and blue, Flourish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I like that character because I do feel like I feel like the Roadrunner is very aware, but is acting like they're unaware. I love that. I love that. I always like the Coyote more than the Roadrunner. I guess because he's the underdog, uh-huh. the under Coyote. <laughs> so let's talk about the never-ending chases. Here's a bunch of different ways that Wiley Coyote tries to catch the Roadrunner over the decades. Okay, I want to hear the list because I'm really only remembering with my senile brain dropping things on top okay. of Okay. Well, that's yeah. good because 12 times throughout those first 40 episodes of the cartoon does Coyote try to drop a boulder on the road, right. Roadrunner from above. So that's the one that is most often repeated. Another thing he tries is catapulting boulders uh-huh. with a big contraption at yeah. the Roadrunner. That's about 11 times that he did that. Archery is a big one. Dynamite rockets. He did that five times. Uh, he tried to drop an anvil on the Roadrunner. He tried to lasso him. There were slingshots and quick dry cement, glue, hand grenades, giant rubber band. And, you know, of course, all of these fail in dramatic fashion, often with Wiley looking like a fool. Right. So, Delta, if you had to catch a Roadrunner, how would you do it? I'm thinking in some sort of net. Like the way that they would do like a rumble strip or whatever you call that, like the police uh-huh. would do to slow down a car. I'm thinking some sort of invisible net made of like fishing wire. I don't know what you would call that. What do you call that on a fishing pole? Fishing pole wire? Oh, line. Fishing <laughs> line. How do I not know that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I would do that. I would put something like that up somewhere yeah. and maybe create like a reason for the roadrunner to come that way. Mm, like some feed or something. Some feed or maybe like a a roadrunner party is happening. Oh, well, you know, yeah. one of the things he tries is he orders from the Acme company a female roadrunner costume. Uh, I think I remember this. Yeah, and he, <laughs> like when he gets in drag. <laughs> well, yeah, so he dresses as a female roadrunner to attract uh-huh. the roadrunner at one point. Another time, he dresses as a female woman with a blonde wig and, and large bazongas, and uh-huh. he's pretending to hitchhike to get the Roadrunner. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. From Acme, by the way. From right? Acme, that's right, yeah. Everything, <laughs> everything. So it seems like the universe is against Wiley e. Coyote, and that is because it is. Chuck Jones said that there were rules that this cartoon followed, and Delta, you and I both love rules, so I'm going to tell you... Rule number one, the Roadrunner cannot harm the coyote except by going, meep, meep. I need that to be a ringtone. I can can have that or an alert (laughs) of some sort. Yeah. The coyote could stop any time if he were not a fanatic. And then it has a definition of a fanatic. A fanatic is one who redoubles his effort when he has forgotten his aim. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, next one. The coyote is always more humiliated than harmed by his failures. Yeah, because I always I can always think of like the 
like a, maybe a boulder rolling down on him, mm-hmm. something like that. And then just kind of like that <laughs> face, like he's not <laughs> right. really hurt. Like we're not seeing blood or anything like that. No. And he's obviously going to survive, which, you know, in that storyline, if you were blown up, <laughs> you would have you more would than just have. a dusty face. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And now the most important part of Chuck Jones's rules, all materials, tools, weapons, or mechanical conveyances must be obtained from the Acme Corporation. And no outside force can harm the coyote, only his own ineptitude or the failure of the Acme products. Okay. And you can see those, all of those rules in action in that very first cartoon, The Fast and the Furious. Coyote sets up a boulder on the edge of a cliff. He balances on a small rock, and he shows us these, like, blueprints of these plans he has, and which shows how it's supposed to work, that he can remove the small rock, and the big rock will fall down and hit the roadrunner as the roadrunner is running by the cliff. And when it's time, he pulls out the tiny rock, and blam! The big boulder goes completely opposite of the way that he expected it to, and it smushes himself into the ground. And then the boulder rolls on by, and we see the Cody's sad face... As he slowly blinks and is, like, totally flattened. But we see that he's going to be okay. So that's when the fanaticism really kicks in. Wiley, he goes back to the drawing boards. Maybe he tries buying a superhero costume. That should give him more power, right, and speed? Well, it's a total failure. He flies off of a cliff and crashes. Okay, next up, he builds a wacky contraption with a fridge and electric motor and a meat grinder, of course, all these parts from Acme, and he straps it to his back, and it's supposed to, like, grind ice to create snow for him to ski down so he can get enough momentum to catch the roadrunner. But, again, he wipes out. Humiliated, but yes, never too hurt, he next gets some jet-propelled sneakers from the Acme company. Now, these get him so close to the roadrunner, but they end up conking out on him, too. Sad. So the rules of this world create an interesting cycle that we see play out over the entire series. And this is where I I think, if you bear with me, you'll see what I think is the real beef of this story. It's not the bird versus the coyote. This rivalry is all about Wile E. Coyote versus the Acme Company. And we'll talk all about what happens when this disgruntled coyote takes his complaints to the manufacturing giant after the break. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Look, it's easy to set up the Roadrunner and the Coyote as adversaries. We all know that story. But when you look at the rules of this world, it becomes really clear that Wiley Coyote's real opponent is the Acme Corporation, which I consider to be criminally negligent, selling these limits. His real enemy is these shitty, backfiring, broken-ass gadgets that he buys from the Acme Corporation. Yeah, they don't work. 
Yes. He's spending all this money. Where's the guarantee? And especially if it's boulder after boulder after boulder after boulder, <laughs> you mean they don't drop? You mean they roll backwards? You mean they blow up in my face? Like, imagine if everything you ordered from Amazon, like, almost killed you. Right. So <laughs> what's the last thing you got off the internet that arrived at your house? Face powder for doing makeup. Imagine if it blew up in your face. It did, it actually. The The product has <laughs> entirely been reformulated. It's been around since 1927, and it's entirely changed the smell, the performance, the color, and the packaging. Oh. And it's being sold as the exact same item. <gasps> yep. Scandal. Scandal. I'm sending it all back, including the one that I opened and used. You should make a TikTok about that. That's the kind of thing TikTok would be upset about. That's not a bad idea. I think I will. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that that happened. Now imagine that happened every time you got a package in the mail. Or that they actually harmed you in some way of, you know, I don't know, like you fell off a cliff because of that makeup. (laughs) I got hit with a powder puff that came with it. (laughs) Boink! (laughs) Fell right off the cliff. Well, in 1990, there was an essay in The New Yorker. That was called Coyote versus Acme. And this essay, it reads like a court transcript. And I'll read you a little tiny part. My client, Mr. Wiley Coyote, a resident of Arizona and contiguous states, does hereby bring a suit for damages against the Acme Company. Mr. Coyote seeks compensation for personal injuries, loss of business, income, and mental suffering. And so the article goes on in similar fashion to dryly illustrate a few instances in which the Acme products backfired on Wiley, and in the end, the lawyer requests damages for $38,750,000. I mean, they go in with some big claims. They call Acme out for their poor design, wildly faulty systems, for none of the products working the way that they're supposed to, basically saying Wiley Coyote never stood a chance against their recklessness. You know, and the other thing is, Wiley Coyote keeps going back, right? He is a loyal customer because the Acme Corporation has a monopoly. It was in the rules. He can only order from the Acme Corporation. So here's some stuff he's ordered. Roller skates, a rocket sled, giant flypaper, which, by the way, the giant flypaper is hilarious because it attracts a giant fly. Um, Lots of dynamite bombs, a jet-propelled pogo stick. I feel like I remember that. Oh, yeah? (laughs) I think so. Uh, A giant kite. Okay. Leg muscle vitamins. Hmm. I feel like, where's the FDA? That's specific, too. (laughs) Yeah. A female Roadrunner costume, which we talked about. Giant rubber band. Dehydrated boulders. Oh, there's a different boulder. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Okay. Earthquake pills. (laughs) We need those. Which, again, the FDA got to get off here. Check out Acme Corporation. Roller skis. Super speed vitamins. Hmm, that sounds like drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, boomerang, giant mousetrap, lightning rod, and many other items. <laughs> of those items, which one do you like? I'm interested in the dehydrated boulders. Mm-hmm. And I'm also interested in the jet propulsion pogo stick. Yes, that sounds like fun. But I'm trying to remember, like, how that worked, like, as far as, like, how that was going to assist in capturing the Roadrunner. You would then just want, like, a fast car. Right. Right? Because so the roadrunner's going, isn't hopping as much as it is just running. Mm-hmm. That brings up an important question. Now, is it the fault of Acme if sometimes the coyote is just not using the product correctly? Mm-hmm. 
if he wanted to catch a roadrunner, he should have got a fast car, you know? Right. That's what I think. I I don't think Acme's to blame. I feel like sometimes they're very clearly to blame, right? Sometimes, such as the giant flypaper, <laughs> although I suppose it is in the name. Well, I think what he was hoping to do was put the flypaper out the way I was going to put the net out. Yes. Yes. I that think was that's what it was. Uh-huh. Why was there never a net? I don't have it listed here, but there's got to have been a net. There had to have been. Well, one could start to think that the Acme Corporation has no one working quality control. <laughs> that's one thing. And that Coyote does not read the instructions on these items. <laughs> so who is this Acme Corporation? Where do they come from? What is their deal? People have theorized that the name Acme means a company that makes everything. That it's an acronym for that. Okay. That's not the story. Chuck Jones, he said in his memoir that he came up with Acme because of a running joke with his sister. So when they were growing up, there were lots of companies that would name themselves Acme. And his sister said that it seems like only bad companies name themselves Acme because that way they would be at the top of the alphabetized list in the Yellow Pages. Oh, okay. So if you went to the Yellow Pages and you need a plumber real bad, you're just going to call the first one there, right? So often it seemed that the worst companies had renamed themselves Acme just to get more business. And so, you know, when he needed to name a company who was going to, you know, have products that fail, uh, (laughs) he was like, great, we'll use Acme. That's so interesting because I have seen that. Yeah. Historically, and you know what else I've seen, and maybe this is it, is like ABC Plumbing. Yes, same, same story. Oh, yeah. how have I lived this long and never? <laughs> that's why That's yeah. why it was destined to know you. <laughs> now you have fun facts. That is wild. I love it. Wow. So they're listed higher in the alphabetic yellow pages, but now we don't have yellow pages, so... What do you think Coyote should do? Do you think he should do anything about the Acme Corporation? Or are you fully in support of the Acme Corporation? What, what do you, how do you feel about this? I mean, I'm in support of the Acme Corporation, but I feel like he's going to be so compelled that he's right. Mm-hmm. Because he's been right in buying all these products. Like, it's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. <laughs> right. He's just going to be on board with this and be like, my lawsuit's going to work. Right? He's got kind of a, a thick head. Yeah. He's a stubborn guy. When Wiley e. Coyote was not chasing the Roadrunner, mm-hmm. what was he doing? <laughs> I don't know. Plotting? Just being <laughs> a cowboy? Coyote? Maybe he works for Acme and he's been getting this discount <sighs> all along. I like this conspiracy theory. So I'm going to mull that over a little bit more while we take a break. Up next... What all this Coyote and Acme Corporation drama teaches us about capitalism and the U.S. legal system. You know, very light stuff. What do you think? Do you think if he sued Acme, would he win? Should he win? Would you? Oh, he would not win. win. No, he would not (laughs) win at all. The universe is against him. Oh, that's true. And that's why he is sort of that underdog that a lot of people love. Because the universe is against him. And I don't think he would launch the lawsuit if he didn't think he was going to win. But Mm -hmm. I think he constantly has these blinders on to everything. Like, 
this next boulder is going to work. This next rubber band's <laughs> going to work. This is going to work. Yes. That's going to work. Yeah. yeah. Which makes me wonder why, like, I keep going back to this idea that maybe he does work for Acme. And the only reason he's being able to <laughs> afford part of this $38 million investment yeah. is because he's been getting a discount all along. And the reason he thinks he can <laughs> sue them is because he works there. He knows that these products are made to specifications. Why would they not be working if we're mm. making them, I spend my life making these products. Mm. So you guys so, are, in his mind, he's not using them wrong. Someone is shipping him ones that are going to malfunction. Ooh, like they're knockoffs or they're doing that, it on yeah. purpose? Yeah, like bin store purchase or something. We're going to get into why if he had sued Acme saying, these products, they arrived to me, and they're broken and they don't work. It would be very hard for him to win that case. But it's not for the reasons you would think. So over the last 30 years or so, there's been something going on in the courts uh, around the laws protecting consumers and the laws protecting companies. It's a lot of different court cases change the law a little bit by little bit by little bit. So the super boiled down version is that it is now harder for an individual or a group of individuals that come together in a class action, it's now harder for people to sue a corporation. Right. And you might say, well, no, I have a constitutional right to have my day in court to, to bring a lawsuit if I am harmed. And of course you do. But because of these rulings, you as an individual can sign that right away. Okay. So arbitration in general is not good for consumers. It used to be just company versus company, which was a lot better way to do it. Mm. When you buy something, when you get hired, when you sign up for a service, oftentimes hidden in the bunch of tiny texts that you either click off on or sign is this very boring thing called, quote-unquote, arbitration clause. Mm -hmm. And if you sign that arbitration clause, you may have given up your right to sue in the U.S. court system. Right. You're waiving your legal rights. And instead, if you have an issue with this company, you have to resolve it through a private process with them. The private process often looks like court. There's a judge. You have a lawyer. You tell your side. They have a lawyer. They tell their side. The judge decides whether or not you should be given damages for what happened. But the judge is hired by the company. And this whole process is coordinated by the company that you're suing. So if Wiley Coyote were going to actually try and get $38 million in damages, it's more likely that he would be, he would not be standing in front of a judge, but instead would be in this private court, thanks to having signed these super common arbitration waivers that come up in work contracts and terms of service agreements when you buy stuff or sign on to a service. Do you feel like that's going to be fair if you're now in this, like, private court created by the Acme Corporation? Yeah, no, it's not going to be fair at all. Because no. they're against you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And oftentimes this is binding, meaning it cannot be appealed, and mandatory, meaning unless you want to not buy the thing or be employed by that person or sign up for that service, you have to agree to this. Mm -hmm. And the last gut punch is a lot of times they have a little extra part in there that says you cannot bring a class action. So say you bought a slingshot from Acme Corporation you get it, you realize it doesn't work, the boingy part breaks and it hits you in the face. <laughs> and then you're like, hello, Acme, I need a refund, and also you hurt me. Um, 
you're not going to take the time to sue them for that because it was a $25 thing and you only got a little bit hurt on the face. You're not right. going to the ER or anything. But maybe if the same thing happened to a thousand other people, you would all band together and sue and get, you know, your money back for the for the product. Right. That's called a class action lawsuit. These arbitration clauses sometimes don't allow for that. So now, if you've signed off on this thing, you've given up your ability to sue with others, you've given up your ability to sue at all, you're just shit out of luck. And this is a real-life thing that happens in America all the time and that we don't notice and we don't think about until we've got problems. This is really deep for <laughs> buying a slingshot. I agree. <laughs> Why is it so hard to kill people? Oh my gosh. The wildest part for me is that not only does this fictional rivalry tell us something very real about consumer production, but that this tiny little New Yorker essay is actually going to be the plot line for a brand new movie called Coyote versus Acme. And it's going to star John Cena. It's going to be a, like a live action. Yeah, like Space Jam. And he's going to be Wiley Coyote. No, John Cena is going to be the lawyer for Acme. Okay. Wally Coyote will be animated, but the other characters, many of the other characters, will be real life, live action. It's a mix. I want Wiley and the Roadrunner to be people. Ooh. Like, I, w- I don't know who would play who them. Who would you cast? Who would you cast? I think the people in this day and age would like to see Pedro Pascal as, <gasps> as Wiley yes. Coyote. I think people would like that. I would like that. I like Yeah, him. I think that would be great. Uh, the mm-hmm. Roadrunner, I would love to see the Roadrunner portrayed as effeminate in a way. Ooh, ooh, ooh. a Christian uh, Siriano type? I would love that. I would love to see him. I think he would kill mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's beautiful. He's mm-hmm. exciting. He's confident, but not, not unfriendly or unkind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. I think Christian Siriano would be great for that. Yes. Now, would you have them costumed like the coyote in the Roadrunner, or would it just be like they are embodying their spirit but wearing— like, No, they stylish. have to be in the costumes, and I think Christian <laughs> Siriano has to create for sure. Yes, of a fashion version of Roadrunner. Oh, it would be so good. I would live for that. <laughs> I love this idea. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's going to be this movie that comes out. It's supposed to come out this summer. Uh, it was actually supposed to come out earlier, but they, they pushed the date. Will Forte is in it, too. Uh, okay. He's playing Wiley Coyote's lawyer. I don't know if it's going to be any good. Uh, it seems like it might not be, especially since it got pushed. But who knows? Maybe we'll be surprised. I kind of wonder how much of the dangers of arbitration will end up in the movie. Maybe none. <laughs> I, could this finally be justice for Wiley Coyote, though? So, Delta, I've got questions for you. <laughs> um, in the case of Wiley Coyote versus the Roadrunner, who do you think wins? The Roadrunner is never hurt. I mean, the Roadrunner might could reasonably just turn around and look and see uh, the Coyote, you know, with a safe on his head or whatever, <laughs> and it's like, oh, yep. I didn't see you there. Anyway. Meet me. Goodbye. Yeah, it doesn't even really have to be involved in the conversation. Like, not only not hurt, but literally almost not even aware of anything that transpired. (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. He's so above it. This is one of those one-sided rivalries, right? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) 
never overthought anything. Was just like, I didn't know I was supposed to think about it. I didn't even know you were trying to kill me. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <Whatever. no> clue. <laughs> All right. So that's that's the first question. The second is in the case of Wiley Coyote versus the Acme Corporation, who wins? I mean, the Acme Corporation. I feel like as these as these rivalries go on, I do always want to side with what I think is ethical. Mm-hmm. And I think the corporation is being highly unethical. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like the coyote has had these blinders on and at some <laughs> point has had every opportunity since 1949 <laughs> to understand yes. that you need to be a little more wise about this. This isn't like something that happened like once every decade where you're like, oops, slipped up or like, oh, should have mm-hmm. had somebody else look at this with me. Like, no, you're doing this over and over because you're honestly just a dum dum. <laughs> I don't think you like it. I just think, Mr. Coyote, yeah. you're just a dum dum. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the final case of the American people versus corporate arbitration, <laughs> who do you think wins? <laughs> oh, the American people. We've just been losing and losing and losing and losing. Oh, oh my gosh. With every intention of not even wanting extra, just wanting what's fair. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe in our heart of hearts, anybody in this country is like, I want more than everybody else. I think mm-hmm. there are, there is a percentage, of course. But I mean, by and large, I think the quilt of this country is supposed to represent not a wall, but a bigger table. You know what I mean? I feel like it, you can tell by people's, sometimes you can just tell by people's manners when they sit down at a family-style dinner and they serve a portion that they think is going to be enough for everybody around the table to have a portion. And then if there's more, you have more. Yes. You can tell when someone's knee-jerk reaction is, I need half of the mashed potatoes. (laughs) Yep. And I better run to get it. (laughs) But that goes over into anything corporate. Like people, Mm -hmm. I need more, I need more, I need more. I I need the writers to not have a working wage. I need women to not speak to me this way. I need... People of color, one representation, that's plenty. As long as I get my one represent, it's... But Delta, the shareholders, they have to... (laughs) Oh, my God. They have to maximize profits the shareholders. From Sony Music Entertainment, this is Fierce Rivalries, hosted by me, Delta Work. And me, Kelsey Padgett. I also produce the show. Gabriella Santana is our associate producer. Caitlin Pierce and Megan Dietry are our editors. Tiffany Walker is our managing producer and editor. Our production coordinators are Sasonia Davenport and Tamika Balance-Kolosny. Our theme music is by Allison Layton-Brown. John Scott is our engineer. Our executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Caitlin Pierce, and Megan Dietry. TJ Raphael was our development producer. <laughs>